Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda, presented by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. It's wonderful and strategic that at this time, as we have passed Labor Day weekend and we're starting one of our longer fasts of this year, that we are able to connect with the living God and call on His name and sing praises to Him. So He does something to us. And one of the words that comes to me is harmony. That you are in harmony with the living God and your harmony within the, with each other. And we get in tune with the living God and release the power of God. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And now more than ever, in the nations, the nations need the name of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the strengthening for their innermost beings to encourage them to stand stalwart for themselves, their children. So we thank you, worship team. Give them a big clap again. Will you? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Michael. And you may be seated. I didn't mention that we would take a moment uh, to honor the this week, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II Queen of England, the British Empire, and Northern Ireland. Um, each of us has a different kind of history. Uh, that connects us somewhat with not only the United States, but with Great Britain. Yeah. Great Britain is a, I would consider it our number one ally. And it is appropriate that we honor and send our condolences to that nation. We have been friends. Say friends. Friends. And it's important that we take note of friends. And at certain junctures, and this is one of those times, uh, they've had this queen for more than 70 years. She lived to be 96. And I, in my history, my parents were from India, but they were 
my brother, my father was qualified. He had several degrees and he worked with the British and he was asked to work with the educational system in Kenya, Africa. East Africa was a British colony and so was India at the time. And uh, I remember basically almost kindergarten kid and then I went next year to first grade. But uh, we were instructed to, as a little kid, vague memories, but uh, in Mombasa, Kenya, it was a harbor, but it was a great resort place. And uh, at that time, it was 1950 or so, Queen Elizabeth. Now she was Princess Elizabeth, just a young in her 20s, but she had a little mini vacation, came to Kenya, and but she came to, or part of the royal family came to Mombasa, and I remember as a kid, I was given a little flag, and we were, hundreds of us were standing in there on Salem Road, and waving our little flags, the British flag, as they passed by. But at that time, she received the news that her father, who had uh, lung surgery, uh, it was not expected, but suddenly he had emergency and he passed away. So while she was in Kenya, Africa, she basically became, though the coronation had not happened yet, she was going to be, she was the oldest daughter of the king, so the, she was going to receive the accession, she was going to become queen. So she flew in a plane, I remember the news, how she took the plane to go back to England, uh, London, and but it took them some time and it was about a year later that she had the coronation and that she became queen of england uh, and the first person first prime minister she received was sir winston churchill so you look can look back at the memory of that and uh, then of course she married the duke of edinburgh and that a great life he just passed away last year and was just a few days before reaching the 100th birthday. That's quite something. I mean, God blessed them with long lives and they're very influential not only in England, I mean, UK, United Kingdom, but and Northern Ireland, but Canada, Australia, the influence of the British Empire went all over the world. Um, then uh, we had uh, she was in uh, the British Army so 
she served as a mechanic and drove army trucks as a young, I mean, 18, 19 year olds. Um, she, and then her dad passed away and she became the queen at a very early age. And so she received Winston Churchill, who was very influential at that time. But we want to remember that Great Britain and the United States were allies from way back. I mean, the First World War, we fought together. And for us, of course, we were not born, but there were plays and songs that made, that were, that said how united we were. I remember a song I heard many years ago uh, called Over There, Over There. I don't know whether you remember, Over There, Over There. Uh, send the word, send the word over there that the Yanks are coming, Yanks are coming, the drums rum coming everywhere. So prepare, say a prayer. Remember the prayer is there. Send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, overcoming over, and we won't come back till it's over over there. So that was part of the, in the First World War. And then the Second World War, we were really united in a lot of endeavors. The British and the Americans were great allies. I remember some of your parents or grandparents were in the Second World War. Raise your hand if they were. How about that? Cindy, I remember you letting us know about how your dad was involved in freeing the Jews in the concentration camps. Wasn't that right? And uh, how many, Ron, did your, where was your dad posted? Okay. With the armed forces. Yeah. How many, who else? Your, either your grandpa or your father was in the, what about you, Katie? Yeah. How about that? And Rich, of course. Richie. Yes. Everybody was in, I mean, that was the time where the women started working in the factories and all that. And uh, Jill, what about your, your dad, your grandfather? It was my uncle, and he served and died in the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, in the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah. Well, of in the, the Pacific or the Atlantic? Battle of the Bulge. Battle oh, the Battle of the Bulge. Battle of the Bulge. Wow. And then we got a letter years later from um, a man that served with him. 
and he was French, and he told us all about how he died, and it was really nice. Wow. That's something. When Bonnie and I got to visit France in 1979, and she was pregnant with Ben, I remember. But we got, we were blessed to be able to be in Normandy and saw the thousands of graves of the British, I mean of the American and British soldiers. But a lot of young Americans gave their lives to free Europe and France. Uh, But the Queen was very much, she and her family were very much involved in helping in that time frame. Um, So at this time, it's good for us to recall and to be thankful and for the alliances we had and not look down. It was not perfect. The empire, the British Empire was not, not in any way perfect, but it was the the kindest and most law-abiding empire. I mean, respected the laws more than any other empire. So we do want to recognize. Um, and Brother Derek Prince, who was our mentor and teacher, all of that, he served in North Africa in the British Army under General Montgomery. Right. Yeah. And if you see the movie Patton, you see uh, the British and the American generals strategizing. And Patton, of course, the Battle of the Bulge, quite a bit was influenced by. And interestingly, in Derek's life, um, one of the first places that he learned about fasting was as a single young man while he was serving in the military in the World War um, in the Sudan. And part of his uh, testimony or teaching and encouragement about fasting was the fact that, of course, the wider uh, culture there um, was Islamic and, you know, the, the civilian population was familiar with Ramadan. But Derek, in the midst of his group of the British soldiers, the uh, the Lord spoke to him about fasting every Wednesday. And that is what he kept that habit his entire life. And he started it there. And his, uh, the soldiers that were in his his group um, started calling Wednesdays Ramadan because of... Derek fasting, um, you know, in the midst of it. But that, that actually is in, the, in a time of war is where Derek started learning about fasting, interestingly enough, and, and became one of the great teachers. And w- many of you know one of the um, powerful aspects of that was that when um, he got to the front, when Derek got to the front, he was a quartermaster, and when he got there, he knew that the whole world w- had this confidence that the British army was holding the line against Rommel, that w- who was marching towards the Middle East to take I- Israel and all of that, and really, really impact the whole future of the globe politically. 
and the world had this confidence that the British forces are there on the front line to resist this. And when Derek got there, he was absolutely horrified to see the disarray because the class system was still very much in place and the officers and senior officers were rather debauched and were not properly equipping the soldiers and, and everything was a disaster. And he started fasting and praying and um, he, he, he said that the Lord dropped into his spirit a prayer that we're all very familiar with, Lord, give us leaders such that it will be to your glory to give us the victory through them. A very powerful and really apostolic Holy Spirit, you know, written prayer. And within a couple of weeks after praying that together, you know, with his fasting, the British High Command had a man set aside that they were sending out to, um, you know, sort of lead and take over that front line there. And when his plane touched down on the landing strip, a gust of wind caught it and tipped the plane. The wing caught and it flipped and that man was killed and the British High Command scrambled and ended up just grabbing Montgomery and sending him to the front. And Derek said that when Montgomery got there and saw the condition of everything, the first thing he did was literally call the men uh, in command and the regular soldiers in, in there into like the open you know, parade ground area. And he said, we are utterly dependent upon the God who gives victory. And he cleaned up everything and you know, turned everything around. So probably prayer and fasting. Um, and I know like Reese Howells and you know, there were many who were storming heaven, but prayer um, is certainly one of the great testimonies of how and why the world turned in a positive direction in, in that world. Yeah, and if you remember watching uh, the movie Patton, even as he comes and takes command, the whole command under him was in disarray, and he had to put it in order. And one of his orderlies in the movie, it's, it, he points to his Bible, the Patton's Bible says, sir, do you read this? He says, every blank day. <laughs> uh, but he came across a very powerful player thinking about the Battle of the Bulge yeah. that, he, that the weather was so terrible that the planes, the Americans helped give superiority, air superiority, during that time. But when the weather was bad, the planes couldn't fly. And he asked the, the biggest chaplain he could find to come up with a prayer mm -hmm. to turn the weather around. And, <laughs> and then they printed it on cards and distributed it to the entire military. And so you had all of the soldiers you know, together, if you will, in this prayer for the weather to turn. Lord, turn the weather. And sure enough, yeah. the next day. Yeah, there it is. The card. Oh, yeah. that's great. You're smart. Uh, and the weather turned and the, the, the airplanes flew. Yeah. And it says the skies were turn. totally full. And these were the things that um, uh, 
we need to remember about those days. And in the midst of it, the queen was very much involved in our parents and grandparents were also very much involved in that. And so this is a notable time as the passing of the queen for us to realize the friendships we have had, mm -hmm. the alliances we have had that we honor. We magnified the plus, plus. Yeah. And among the things I remember about the queen was Dr. Billy Graham, our wonderful evangelist American, visited her several times. And he said, the queen was a very committed Christian and believed in prayer. And a lot of her Christmas messages uh, were devoted to honoring the Lord and prayer. So at this time, we send our condolences mm -hmm. and our prayers to yeah. the British people, to royal family, and pray ongoing wisdom for the new king, King Charles III. Yeah, amen. I grew up singing God Save Our Gracious Queen. And now there's an adjustment over Britain, and uh, they're going to sing God Save Our Gracious King, because Charles III is the king now. Um, but I want to point out, thank God that the theme, the national song, God Save Our Gracious Queen, or God Save Our Gracious King, it points to God. And basically it's a prayer to the living God. So we send at this, this is special communion service. We're going to share a little bit about what we are doing right now, what we're involved in. Uh, this is, again, uh, one of the most powerful things we'll be involved in this year. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more powerful that a group of Christians can do than pray and then combine that with fasting. When you fast and pray, it's like the greatest weapon that the church of Jesus Christ has. And the devil is terrified of Christians doing it. New, therefore, we could do it individually, but when we can do it together as a corporate, it just redefines it on a much higher level. Very powerful. And so <clears throat> we are going to share a little about that and then we're going to take communion together but on this corporate fast we're believing for a breakthrough for each of you for the church for our nation and starting last Tuesday uh, and again, I want to underline, and uh, I 
thought I had my copy here of prayer and fasting, but it is considered one of the major authorities that it's all over the world in 40 languages. And for more than 18 years, nearly 20, I fasted body lived with a man that did two 40-day fasts and four 21-day uh, fasts for more than 22 years. And the Lord said not to teach about it even the first 18 years, not to talk about it, just do it. And it became part of my life. And then started teaching it at a major conference we were addressing and then was allowed to write it down and became a very, it has become one of the standards for prayer and fasting. But, so I am considered one of the world authorities on prayer and fasting. I speak it humbly. <laughs> but if I can say it to each of you, therefore, with some measure of authority, is let grace be the guiding word. Whatever grace you have, don't go beyond what God gives you grace for. I remember, again, Brother Derek Prince, who was my mentor and teacher and elder, but he could do only the biggest, longest fast he ever did was 14 days. He literally, his body couldn't do it more than that. And I could just do 40 days Mostly, almost all water, except on the sixth day or so, I would drink some tea. Uh, but whatever your body, whatever grace God has given you, so you could do one day a week, or you could eat just no eat no desserts for for uh, for forty days, or do a seven-day fast or a 21-day fast. These are all in scriptures examples of what people were able to do and what God gave them grace for. The Esther fast was a total fast for three days. And then Daniel fast was 21 days eating no, it says ate no pleasant food. But basically ate no meat, could have eaten beans, lentils, uh, have we don't get clarity from the scriptures what it was. But uh, it says in scripture that um, in Job, the book of Job, um, we sh shared a little bit, but I will start with Job chapter 1 says, blow a trumpet in Zion. Verse four, 14. And 15, blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the, the nations. Why should they 
among the people say, where is your God? So, and then Joel chapter 2 tells us then um, in verse 12, um, it says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering, mm. for the Lord your God. Therefore blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. So again in chapter 2, and this is the pathway of God bringing restoration to his people. So one of the big words about the fasting is restoration. So at this time, we combine together whatever you can do, but in these several weeks, next few weeks, we'll be together referring and send in, again, send in your request. We will pray with you. We are already praying for family relationships to be healed. There are a lot of times that uh, there are hurts or certain decisions that a child who's even grown up can make that's hurtful. But we don't, the way God has shown us is don't get mad. Pray and fast. And God will give you the turnaround. Yeah. God will give you the miracle. Um, King David in Psalm 35, it, it's titled here, The Lord, the Avenger of His People. And for the first 10 or 11 verses of the song, he's grieving the fact that he's got these fierce adversaries that are pursuing his life and, uh, you know, all of these violent and wicked people that have risen up against him and falsely accusing him and all kinds of things, um, literally trying to take away his very life. And then he says um, in verse 11, fierce witnesses rise up and ask me things I do not know. They, re in other words, um, you know, trying to make him confess wrong that he hasn't even been guilty of. Um, they reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. And so you can see David's heart of integrity. But then he says, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. And so, you, you know, you can see his innocence and even towards his enemies, how he uh, would intercede for their well-being. But then he says this, I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. And then he, he goes on. But that phrase right there is revelatory in terms of the tool that God has given us is to humble ourselves and, and, you know, when return is called for by Joel. The key in that is for the people of God to humble themselves and obviously bring ourselves to the Lord in an attitude and a, an atmosphere of confessing. But I think that 
if we were to say there's one major stronghold that is over the modern Western culture, it would be pride, followed immediately by rebellion. And so fasting for the people of God is probably one of the most crucial and effective tools that God has given us and the most needed and probably the most neglected. And certainly in America, we see that literally up until about the 1950s, even at levels of our government, Christian fasting and prayer and humbling and repentance and turning back to the Lord was still something that was a piece of the fabric of the way of thinking, particularly when the nation was in a time of crisis or particular turmoil and various presidents and congresses, you know, would continue a tradition that actually started before the foundation of our government, but was an element of it on the decks of the Mayflower. The, the logs there are historical that the first pilgrims who came to this continent specifically for the reason of freedom of worship in the Christian faith, and they came here, and um, on, on the decks of the Mayflower, the journals are there, that they fasted before they disembarked. They'd been through a terrible journey at sea. Many people had died. And yet before they got off the ship and touched the land that they believed the Lord had led them to, specifically to consecrate their faith and raise up a, a godly society there, they prayed and fasted together and cut a covenant with one another before the Lord. Um, and the, the, if you look at it, there are four main elements of that time of humbling. And every single one of them was submission to godly authority and intercession that the Lord would help them to form and then participate in a unified society in the fear of the Lord and uh, promoting and observing the Christian faith. Um, and then one of the, the stories that I've always loved a lot was in 1623, um, it's in Governor Bradford's journals in Plymouth Plantation. And the, uh, it was after they had their first Thanksgiving and things went well, but then the weather turned against them. And they came to a place where everything was dying in the field, and they were looking at literal starvation for the whole colony. And they called a day of fasting and brought all of the community into the council house. And they said that the drought was so bad that there had not been a cloud in the sky or a drop of rain for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months, and it was coming near harvest time. And they prayed and fasted for a whole day together in the council house. And they came out in the evening, and the clouds had begun together. And that next morning, he wrote that a soft and gentle rain began to fall. So gentle it was that it didn't soak the parched ground and wash everything away. But, you know, Joel says afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And this gentle rain began, and it lasted for 14 days and literally revived all of the crops that were in the field. And so there was a, a, a tradition set in the American fundamentals in the founding of our government that went on in 1789. Congress uh, proclaimed uh, a day of 
fasting and prayer and thanksgiving when the Constitution was ratified. And they, they uh, literally dedicated that document and we, the people ourselves, to the Lord to serve him in fear and faith and obedience to righteous laws. So in, in America's uh, founding, um, the whole idea of recognizing that we come to the end of ourselves, repent of our pride, return to the Lord, and receive from him times of refreshing and revival. So as much as the modern, especially spirit-filled church, is so eager for the signs of revival, honestly, if we would literally in mass across the church turn to fasting and humbling ourselves, I am positive we would see the revival that everybody is praying for, believing for, looking for, waiting for. But the thing we need to do is precipitate it in the way that God yeah. says. And it's the certain things that happen that we call the word precipitation. That there are certain conditions that we have to fulfill and we want God to do certain things. And he's waiting on us. Yeah. And so it says in uh, the, the book of Joel, it will come about after this that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And it's like, you know, Revival, I'll pour it out. Afterward, after what? Call a solemn assembly. Mm -hmm. Declare a fast. So we are, at the time, as we look out at our nation, at this time in history, many families, it's difficult for them to meet the expenses that we have the highest inflation in a long time. Many families are unable to fill their tanks with gas because it's so expensive in a land that's rich with gas reserves. But some of our leaders have been driven by strange thinking and making them turn against all sensibility and the yeah. increase for their own people and they go begging. In fact, it's strange that our own leaders have gone begging to regimes like Iran and Venezuela oh to get supplies when we ourselves have plenty and denied our own people from digging and getting. Now, br the British are here as of <coughs> last week are allowing uh, making it legal for them to do fracking. And they're <laughs> going to pr produce some. The Germans are going to try to go back to nuclear energy. They're thinking about it. We pray that this strange philosophy that they've had <coughs> that makes them think that they're going to, from sunlight and wind energy, they're going to supply the energy that people need during wintertime. And we find that it's extreme cold, that in that condition people die, literally. So we are praying 
that truth will come. That when people believe a lie, the best thing for us to do is pray and fast and pray that the people will turn around and have revival. So we find that the Lord, uh, when <clears throat> the, you find Daniel chapter 2, I mean Daniel, Daniel 9 verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And verse 2, and I set my face, uh, verse 3, <clears throat> I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes in humility, turning to the living God. And then we find that in, we have talked about this before, but it would not hurt us that it is Second Chronicles 20, uh, that the report came to Jehoshaphat, there cometh a great multitude against Second Chronicles 20, verse 2 onwards, against thee, from beyond the sea on this side Syria, behold there be in the Hazazon Tamar, which is an Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. So it is scriptural, it says in the Bible, all the way, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the New Testament in Matthew 4, it's taught by Jesus himself. And he says, uh, Matthew 4, he says, led by the Spirit, is driven into the wilderness, and there he fasted 40 days, not drinking, I mean, not eating any food. Uh, and then the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and is guided. This is one of the best times for him. This is a strategic time as he begins his ministry. And uh, the early church, you find in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, that as they choose the, the apostles and sending forth the beginnings of the early church are surrounded by the atmosphere of fasting and humbling and turning our faces towards the Lord. And God hears our cry and will answer our prayer and do mighty things in the name of the Lord. You find in Ezekiel chapter 37, the Lord brings Ezekiel to a mountain of bones yeah. and says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, I don't know. He says, prophesy to these bones. And as he prophesies, they come, start coming together. And they become a skeleton. And then they become as flesh, sinews added to it. And it eventually, basically, stands up an exceedingly great army. And we pray that the dead bones will be restored once again, that we will be the great anointed church of Jesus Christ, standing as an exceedingly great army yeah. with authority. Say authority. Authority. And that's yeah. given by Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit.
we have to participate, not just the people of evil intent who want to turn around this nation, who want to drive us to bankruptcy so that we could turn to Marxism and communism, that we humble ourselves and seek the Lord, yeah. that the provision is there that God has given us. And uh, there is a Isaiah 58 is also very interesting scripture. In Isaiah 58, chapter, chapter 6, he says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not that to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then, when we involve ourselves in the righteous fast, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be the re-reward, or basically covering your back parts. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away the, from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if you draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. The Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. Thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. They that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Amen. And your light and your health, your healing will spring forth suddenly. So fasting is also one of the pathways, the doorways for healing of all kinds, beginning, you know, with our soul. And you see in the example of Jesus, for instance, he was the son of God, and yet that time in the wilderness wasn't even so much specifically to confront Satan in power, but it was literally to bring his soul in subjection to the will of the Father, no matter what. And in denying the desire of the flesh, when you remember the first one, is the devil said, if you're the son of God, well, God had just spoken from heaven just hours or a day or two before when Jesus was baptized. And he said, this is my beloved son. And then in a short time, the devil comes like, yeah, are you sure? The big if, right? Unbelief and doubt and that seduction to depart from the fear of the Lord and from faith right there. But he began, the devil began his temptation with Jesus' literal flesh, his physical body being weakened from hunger and his, you know, his appetite of, 
I, if I want food, I need food. And that, that, was, that was the first one. And so it was a way of Jesus bringing that, the desire of the flesh, into subjection to the Father. And then his reply with every if that the devil brought. He, Jesus didn't try to argue with him or you know, cry out to the Lord or whatever. He said, it is written. And he used the word against all so any seeds that were being sowed of doubt and unbelief or, or rebellion or, or even self-promotion. Um, and then, of course, sec the second time, the devil came back. Now, supposedly, we assume that Jesus' appetite now has been confronted, and so, you know, he's into his fast. And the devil comes back the next time, and he says, well, I couldn't get in that door, so I'll go around here and try to get in this door. And he, if you remember, he takes him to a high place and he shows him the kingdoms of the world in a statement that is really stunning because he says there that he, the devil says, I have been given authority in all these kingdoms. And so if we recognize the significance of the advent of the kingdom of God in the earth when Jesus was seated on the throne after his resurrection, then we need to connect those two in the binding and the loosing and in fasting with, together with our prayers because the devil has been stripped of his power, but that needs to be adjudicated and that belongs to the people of God in geographical regions. We have jurisdiction there and the proclamation of the kingdom of God, the establishment of it, is our responsibility. We are that battalion of priests in the earth. And so that second one was you could say the lust of the eyes, but it was that temptation that was out there. You know, you think about Judas, for instance, I was thinking of, 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 about the contrast between Jesus as the obedient son and Judas as the man who had opportunity and chose wrongly, 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 wrongly. And then it was after he realized how wrong he had been that, you know, that he, he was in complete regret, but it was too late. But, you know, Judas was probably... Iscariot refers to the little daggers that the um, political zealots uh, wore then, and they, they were infamous for starting riots and assassinating people and all of that. And it appears that Judas Iscariot had been called out of one of those political revolutionary groups, but he never lost that thing that was in his heart. He was never freed from that agenda. And he literally put that agenda on Jesus. And when Jesus didn't fulfill the agenda that Judas believed he was there to do, then it opened the door for Judas to turn, to turn on the Lord. Um, and, and then, of course, they made him the treasurer. And apparently, he liked that job. But we don't know what he was doing with the money. We've got a few economic problems, I think, in our bureaucracy that need to be cleansed of that same spirit and in our industrial military complex. Frankly, I resent the fact that it appears that, that, that there is this faction of an arm wrestling match against U.S. against Russia with Ukraine caught in the middle as the pawn and then sending masses amounts of our money and our well-being and even our weapons and selling off our gas and all of that stuff. Why? I think because there is, a, is some kind of a deep hubris at the back of uh, the old guard and the bureaucracy that is supportive of our industrial complex. Anyway, sorry, I went there, but I shouldn't have. 
And then, um, and then the, the last thing, the, the third time that the devil comes. So Jesus is he's stripping down his soul and humbling his soul in order to set that foundation to be in harmony with the will of God from that part on. And that's what you see in those scriptures you mentioned. The church would always start every new venture, any new ordination of leadership, all of those things, always with fasting and prayer. And it, it's not the first thing that the modern-day church turns to, either in local congregations or in general, whenever there's some new wonderful plan or program. In Acts 13, just like as the church in its birth and its beginning, here, now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, was called Niger and Lucius and Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and so, etc. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, yeah. the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and so for the work to which I have called them. Then that when they had fasted and prayed, so they did it again, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So you find the context that they're very comfortable with this fasting bit. And so here, in this hour, we are here, September of this year, and we're going to set our face in prayer. One of the things that happens in Second Chronicles 20 that's really wonderful is that as it says, uh, as in Second Chronicles 20, when he had consulted with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set Amen. ambushments against the children of Ammon Moab and Mount Tyre, this is the opposing army, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. And God sent. So he turned it around. And part of the key, by the way, and that's important that we think uh, fasting, humbling, maybe we need to look sad, we need <laughs> to be depressed. All of, no, in fact, the atmosphere is singing and worshiping yeah. and praising that's the good. Lord. And so make yeah. sure that your atmosphere <laughs> is that of praising God and knowing our God is a big God. Yeah, amen. Say, my God. My God. Is a big God. Is a big God. And turn to your neighbor. Say, my God. My God. Is a big God. Is a big God. Tell him, your God. Your God. Is a big God. Is a big God. So we're going to believe for you, for your family members for your children, for your grandchildren, for your brothers, your sisters, your wives, your husbands. There are people yes. that their children need to be revived. There are people who need new jobs. They need promotions. They need faith. They have been enveloped by anxiety or fear or depression. We're going to put all of this together 
and turn to the living God and say, Lord, you are answering prayer. Don't do, depend so much on manipulation and on psychology. We're going to turn to the living God. And our God is a big God. Amen. And he's a God of miracles. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to sing. Thank you, Lord. And praise the living God. And God is going to turn it around. Yes, yes. Tell your neighbor, God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. And it is. It's going to, it is going to happen, whether it's your health. Thank you, Jesus. We need yes. healing Thank you, in Lord. Jesus' name. Situations I, I had with your children. Yeah. I was going to even pray for a horse this <laughs> week, yeah. and they had to postpone it to next week, I think. Um, but we believe in praying for dogs. Dogs have been slain in the spirit. And healed. And healed. <laughs> Wonderful. From cancer. So God cares for what you care about Thank and you, your Lord. children. And this is a wonderful key time to join together. Let us know. Drop us a note. Send an email to the church or to us. I mean, there are different ways we can, you can communicate with us. And we'll be standing with you. We are already praying for different families, for different things. And we always keep it private. If others want to talk about it publicly, if they themselves, that's their business. But we will keep it private. But we want you to know that there is breakthrough. God is about to give you a breakthrough. Amen. And as we turn to the living God, humble ourselves and pray, God, our big God. Amen, Lord. Is turning thank it around. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we Amen. thank you. Big God. Big God. Thank you, Lord. Smile. <laughs> Say, big God. Big God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-730. 6264. God bless you.